Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia, episode 101. We got past the 100 mark and we're powering towards, I don't know, a million maybe. Anyway, oh, this this podcast almost didn't happen. Uh, I had an SD card problem in my Zoom recorder that I use. But I managed to just fix it at the last minute. Uh, so anyway, we're here and we've got a good episode for you. Uh, joining us this week is a special guest, Trent Smith. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a good story. He's got a good story to tell. If you're into building, uh, building models, stay tuned. So Trent Smith will be joining us. But before we get to Trent, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, I've had a bit on my mind lately, besides being very busy, traveling around all over the place. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday night before this podcast goes live, heading to Adelaide tomorrow for the day to shoot a video for work. Hopefully everything goes well, but uh, yeah, been traveling around a bit, haven't been able to get out flying though, which is a big pity. Maybe this weekend I might be able to, oh, I just thought going up to my house in the country and I've got some planes up there I could probably go for a fly up there so I've got to remember to take some batteries but uh so fly the electric foamies up there not too much space no flying field kind of things a bit of a paddock that I can fly out of but um yeah we've got winter coming down where I am and if you're listening in the northern hemisphere you've got summer coming so you're getting into your prime flying season actually I was following very closely on Facebook uh the Joe Nall Joe Nall event i'm going to work out how it's pronounced i think it's probably joe nor but uh but we're going to actually have heath mcdonald on who's been on before who uh is over there at the moment so he's um i said to him can you please come back and tell us all about it and, and joe Noll is, is really one of those events where it's, it's a massive massive uh fun fly event in the u.s an event that i'd love to get to at some point in time so we're going to have him on when he gets back but that won't be a straight away but um but yeah, coming into winter where I live uh, means not as much flying generally. Uh, I know that the Bansdale Club down here had their fun fly event last weekend and it went well and it was touch and go because the weather forecast wasn't looking good. But uh, Tony Wilson was telling me he made in his uh, big his Viper jet, his first turbine, and um, he said the first attempt to get off the grass didn't really work that well because the grass was a bit... Uh, wettish but um second attempt uh wasn't too bad but uh yeah it gets harder to fly down here um during winter down in melbourne if you live up north in queensland you might be a bit better but queensland's been getting a lot of rain so i feel for you guys actually had to fly somewhere on the weekend and um, a plane was delayed due to bad weather coming from plane you know the planes were delayed coming out of queensland so it's been very odd here in australia hasn't it for flying um when it comes to the weather but down here in Melbourne, we've had a pretty good summer of flying. Uh, we've got an IMAC event coming up in um, in a few weeks down here at my local club. And uh, so lots to be had still. But uh, I don't know about you, but I, my sights are sitting now towards September. And September is the big mammoth scale flying hit down here in Shepparton. And that's an opportunity to see the best of the best planes. And I really encourage everybody to get working and get some of your good planes ready to bring out for the Shepherd and Mammoth, let's make it a big event. It really means a lot to the club 
Now, um, we've had uh, Les Sawyer on before talk about the um, Shepherd and Mammoth, and there's a bit of an expense just to get it off the ground. So, uh, and the club really relies on the, the finances and brings me to a point that's been on my mind, and that is club finances and where do we get the money from? Uh, there's a lot of clubs out there that their revenue streams are very limited. Basically, the revenue comes from membership. That's the primary source. But uh, often with declining participation that's happening in here in Australia, it means that you've got fewer members, but you've still got the, the, the same bill. You know, you've still got to keep the, the grounds maintained and, and that comes at a cost. So really, what are ways that clubs can generate more revenue? And I've, I've been thinking there are a few. Run an event, encourage people to come to it, sell them sausages and food and stuff like that, run a raffle, you get an extra $900,000. Now, some people say, oh, $900 or $1,000, that's not much. But when you think about fuel costs at the moment and how much fuel you need to maintain maintenance of your your, your machinery, $1,000 covers, you know, three, four months probably of fuel bill So from one event. So consider running an event. Bigger fan of come try days. Uh, I was uh, talking to someone from South Australia recently and they were telling me at the Norlunga Club, well done, guys, you ran a come try day. And he said, yeah, they had about 74 people. And um, they made a little bit of money because they sold some some food and stuff uh, along the way. But, um, you know, you could have people come to a come try day and pay you know, five bucks, ten bucks to participate, generate a bit more revenue out of that, sell them some food and whatever. Um, sell them raffle tickets to win the E-Flight Apprentice. <laughs> and, you know, so they can get into it. So um, consider doing that. So events, um, you know, anything that can encourage people to the field means you can generate more revenue. Increasing fees is always a bit tricky because the members don't like that. Nobody likes to see fee increases, but they're inevitable. The way the cost of living is going and that kind of thing, I think it's inevitable that clubs will start to increase their uh, their revenues that way. But uh, think outside the square. You know, run a raffle that the public can... Uh, can uh, you know, pay to to enter and then you know widen the pool. And how do you promote it through Facebook? Big fan of Facebook advertising. It's very cheap. The Norlunga Club told me they spent about eighty bucks to promote the event, the Come Try Day in their local area, and they got seventy four people. That's a pretty good return on investment from an eighty buck advertising spend. So consider that. Uh, I am having a few chats with a few people at the moment about promotional stuff. So I always say, if anybody is running a club and needs a few pointers around marketing, those kind of events, just send me a message. Get on the flatoutrc.com.au website and send me a message and I'm happy to help you out because I run a marketing business for a day job. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a few few tips there. If you your club needs a bit of money, think outside the square and just get people there and uh, give them a reason to spend their money. guest time my favorite part of the podcast uh this week's guest is a guy by the name of trent smith hails from originally from up cobram way down here in uh, victoria but uh or is it new south wales it's on the border anyway uh lives down in melbourne now and he sent me a message uh saying hey if you need a guest i'm happy to come on and I always encourage people, if they're interested in coming on uh, to the podcast, just send me a message. So I responded very quickly, got Trent on. And Trent's got an interesting story because he's into building his own models. You could say scratch building, but uh, scratch building composite planes. And so uh, there's, a, there's a fair bit of, of a story behind all that, but uh, really interesting guy. And you know, I, I'm thinking I'm going to go and visit him. 
we've got a lot in common, as you'll find out. I've got a lot of interests that are the same, uh, and just our, our mindset's very similar, and you know what we like in the hobby and all that kind of stuff. So here is my chat with the one and only Trent Smith. Well, a while back, I did ask people if anybody wanted to come onto the podcast, if they reached out to me, uh, you know, if just don't be afraid to reach out and uh, we'll get you on. And Trent Smith is our guest this week, and he did just that. And Trent, how long did it take me to reply to you, do you reckon, when you uh, um, said, hey, uh, you know, if you need to guess, I can come on? Um, I think it was just a matter of hours, to be honest. It uh, checked my emails again and you had responded. So it was, yeah, really, really fast. And it was, did I say no? No, definitely not. <laughs> you were more than happy and enthusiastic. Well, that is true. And uh, actually, uh, since I was talking to some, some, some flying buddies today and I mentioned that I was having a chat with you and they said, oh, Trent's a great guy. So, um, so you're obviously well known uh, among um, some aero modelers uh, down here, especially in Victoria and Australia. But um, where did your journey in aero modeling begin? Um, probably like a lot of people you've you've spoken to on the podcast, just a general aviation interest with planes and everything as a kid. Um, always sort of looking up when I heard a plane go over the top. Um, but the first sort of inkling I saw, I walked past a hobby shop and saw. I think some Aerofly kits in the front and saw an Aeroflight Albatross and couldn't believe 2.5 metre wingspan was even possible. I thought uh, it looked beautiful. So that sort of led on to speaking to my dad and we sort of purchased a um, an Aeroflight Aries two-channel glider, um, built that, just learned how to, you know, do some solar film covering, bit of trial and error, burning holes and patching and this and that. And I don't think I ever flew that one, but that was where I started. Got a Sanwa two-channel radio. Um, do, do you know what? I did exactly the same thing. I've still yeah. got the Sanwa two-channel radio in pristine condition. And I've still got the Aries as well. Uh, very good. I think I converted mine into a slope saw. I cut the fuselage shorter, cut some foam wings back in the day and and turned it into a slope saw just for something to do. But, yeah, that's where it sort of started. But didn't fly it. I tried once, but I didn't understand a lot of stuff. I didn't understand what a center of gravity was. So I just, it had some lead shot in the kits. I put some of it in the front with some glue, but I didn't know whether it even fly. So, but it got the interest going. Then at about 14, a mate of mine, Craig McCartney, he moved to my local country town and he was into planes and we started talking and that led on to him. He just recently bought an Aeroflight 15 trainer and an OS 15 and I had a cousin who had this motor sitting on their windowsill i don't know how they got it but it was an os 15 so i managed to pry it off them and went and bought a kit and sort of built that and you know to the point i didn't even sand like the the you know around off the leading edge of the tail point i didn't know what i was doing i was just lazy and i thought i just want to get this in flying joined a local club i did the right thing i joined a club got them to check it over and then that sort of took me from from just the beginnings to flying solo so that was a that was a fun little Aeroflight 15 trainer, which I'd love to get hold of one day, maybe again if I saw one. Yeah. You, what club? Where, where were you based then? I live, I uh, grew up in Cobram, up on the Murray. Yeah. Um, and I the local club was at Yarrawonga, which is about a oh, 25, 30 minute drive east. Um, there was a few local Cobram people going there every Sunday. So went out there and checked it out and then joined there. And they were a good club. Like, had a, a trainer who, Sorry, an instructor who taught all the juniors the right way about two mistakes high and and um, stayed there for quite a long time until I think I, like a lot of guys, sort of took a bit of a pause when I turned 18 and discovered 
alcohol, women and cars. Um, <laughs> the trilogy. Which seems, <laughs> seems to be a common story. Yeah, so, yeah, very common. But, yeah, that's where it sort of started. But I always just liked aviation. Yeah, it was, well, it's you know what? It's You obviously had that passion because you, you know, dabble with the glider then, you know, and, and I'll – I've got this belief also that um, if you've got a mate that sort of does it with you, it helps and it keeps you motivated that you've got someone to bounce off. But how yeah. how did it go, those first flights with the powered plane? Um, oh, I think I, I think it was okay. I mean, I obviously didn't smash the model, um, but just basically it was like it was, it was just rudder and elevator and throttle, so it was pretty – and a high dihedral, so it was very user-friendly. Um, and just, yeah, it was that high in the sky that I can't remember much, but I kept it straight enough and then got, you know, only, it might have only been a few minutes the first flight and then a little bit more. And the instructor was pretty sensible with that. Um, but enjoyed every minute of it and then slowly progressed to getting solo, which was which was awesome. Yeah, it's a good feeling when you you feel free, don't you, once you don't have, the, have to have the instructor breathing down your neck. Yeah. Was, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I couldn't wait when I first started flying. Like I already had visions of what I was going to do once I got my wings to go and fly by myself, kind of thing. Like what model I wanted to buy and all that kind of thing. But um, yeah. What was what was your vision like once you know after the trainer plane? What what did you progress into? Well, we actually me and my mate Craig, we both decided to scratch build an aileron wing for the same plane, um, to sort of learn. But mine ended up never making it onto it. I sort of built the wing and then sort of scratch built this turned into a low wing sort of a thing, but it had the aileron on the underside because it was going to be a high wing for the, for the 15 trainer. So, but it was a fun little tail dragger, low wing sort of thing that, that was my next thing. And it was fun. Just did low passes and, and rolls. And that was all I loved doing. Just enjoying myself with basic stuff. That's interesting how you really got into building early, didn't you? Yeah. Cause yeah, I did. And, my mate Craig, his dad was a bit of a scratch builder, old school. So we all sort of taught each other and learnt. And um, yeah, there was never an aileron wing offered for the for the uh, fifteen train. I think the hustler had the option, but we thought we'd have a crack at it. I think my mate got his going, but I just yeah saw the saw the idea. Are we talking late eighties, early nineties? Uh, it would have been yes. Yeah, I graduated. I finished high school in about 93, so it would have been in 89, 90, I reckon. Yeah, okay, we're roughly similar vintage. So, yeah, I'm gauging yeah. by the, the, the kits that you had, what that era. I, I remember, that, um, did you ever have the Aeroflight catalogue? Yeah. I read that yeah. cover to cover till it fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I um, There was one that was like a low-wing. Gemini? The Gemini, yeah, that was something I just like fantasized over, thought how beautiful it was, especially there. The photos I had, it just looked awesome. Um, I never had one, but it was something I sort of back then would love to have loved to have purchased and built. Yeah, I bought. You know, I bought a um, what is it? A, a an Aeroflot Aries um laser cut kit. Uh, okay. That uh, off um, Peter Goff at um, always forget the name. Oh, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Scale Aero Products, I think it's called. Uh, I'm terrible. Sorry, Peter. Um, but um, yeah, I've got it sitting there because it's such a good looking glider. That, that like I, the same thing with the albatross. I had one, or what? Well, my brother had one, and I sort of built it, kind of thing. Um, botched it pretty much. But um, yeah, the wingspan was like, man, this is massive. 
Yeah. And as a kid, you just thought it was, yeah, the greatest thing. I remember building my albatross, and this is how a bit of a novice builder I was not understanding structural stuff. I thought it was really hard to put that vertical sheer webbing on. I don't think I'll put that on. Yeah. And it flew, went up on the bungee, the wings would just bend back and I'd see the covering ripple, never folded the wings, but I'm surprised I didn't. But I just didn't understand that it was important. Yeah. Good days though, aren't they, when you look back at it? Yeah. So I remember the first time I nearly, you know, went went really high in a thermal. That was a good feeling, taking it up on the bungee and then taking it almost out of sight. That was uh yeah. That was a good feeling. It's just some of those simple things, isn't it? Those first that are great. But um okay, so so then, so you got out of the trainer, you scratch built a sort of a, a tail drag, a low wing kind of thing, didn't you? And then how did you keep on progressing after that? Um, I wanted to, I think I built a Piper Cub, a SIG Piper Cub, because um, my mate's dad built one. I was a very sort of bit of a copycat at times. Um, built a Piper Cub, flew that, um, but I, I was getting a bit more into my gliding, so I, um, did my LSF level one or whatever it was and built a, a step three glider because I was sort of wanting to go to jewellery and fly in the competition. So the gliding sort of dragged me one side, but I still had my had my powered planes. I think in about year 10 of high school, so that would have been not far after I bought a um, my first sort of big plane, which was a, a ASB 61 powered model design 60 size p51 mustang and that was with a fiberglass fuselage and foam core wings and that was a that was a bit of a building experience yeah, and learning how to sheet wings and that was done with like a latex glue that's right which i don't think it's done anymore and but that was good i think spring air retracts in that that never flew it's one of those ones that never flew which i was a bit sad about but um yeah always sort of wasn't riding aerobatics because there wasn't a lot of good aerobatic stuff that i could afford or that was that was good to buy like nothing like these days with all the beautiful big iMac stuff. But yeah, my gliding and just just enjoying flying. Did you ever have a ricochet glider? Southern sailplanes ricochet? No, I didn't. I I bought a um a Voyager HQ, I think it was, which was um sort of the similar era. But um I did get a when I got back into it as an adult living in Melbourne, I bought a a, a bullet which was a one was oh, yeah. in the same so family. Yeah. yeah, never flew that. I just saw it come up in trading post and I bought it on a whim, um, finished it, and then just because it sat in my shed for ages because I wasn't doing much flying and just sold it onto a guy who snapped it up. Hey, Trent, there's a recurring theme here. There's a lot of models that you got, started building, and never flew. Yeah, that's it. You can almost call me 95% Trent because I do that a lot. And I think it's that whole when you're building something for a long time at the end of it i suppose the it's getting a little bit tedious, tedious. And the, sort of fiddly, yeah. the fiddly things you might leave to the end and then it's when you get a new project the enthusiasm levels are high and you you're keen to get out there and start stuff and i still do this to this day i've got planes in my shed that i should have flown and i've just jumped onto something else or i just get sidetracked but my theory is and i was speaking to a mate of mine ross about this it's my hobby and if that's what i enjoy that's what i'll enjoy that's what i'll do I'm not sort of doing it for anything else except my enjoyment. So if I've enjoyed just putting kids together 95%, oh, so be it. I'm enjoying it. That's very, very true. Because I think, you know, it generally it's other people that go, oh, he doesn't fit a, finish a plane. It's like, oh, wait a second. He might just enjoy b- building them to that point and then goes yeah. off. And, you know, because I always say that the hobby is just, it's all encompassing. It's not just going to the flying field and flying. It's having a chat with mates about it. It's listening to a podcast, reading a magazine. 
building something, planning something. It's all part of the hobby. But um, but yeah, but you know what? I always say that this podcast is like a social study, and we always, you know, I always talk about the recurring themes. And what you've just said about starting models and then getting a bit tedious and you, you lose a bit of motivation. Every builder that has been on this podcast says exactly the same thing. Nobody has ever said to me, "Oh yeah, I work on one model till I finish it, then I start another one." Yeah, yeah. They say I'm always. I get to a certain point, I get bored, and then I start another model, and that's why I've got five models that are unfinished. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it's a pretty common story, and I've tried to put my foot down and, and sort of finish some, which I've sort of has been a little bit more of the last few years. Is trying to. I've got to finish this before I start the next thing, and I've. Especially with molding, I've you know finished some molds on something, and I'll, all right, I've got to finish this before I start the next one. So I'm trying to trying to get better. Well, did COVID help you in any way? Would give you a bit of time to sit in the shed and finish a few models? Yeah, it did. It did. I spent pretty much the whole time in shed. Although COVID for myself, I'm a construction worker in commercial construction. I didn't stop. We stopped for about two weeks when the premier cracked it with us. Um, but we we worked all the way through, which was, I was very fortunate. Like we. We were um, fortunate not to, you know, there's a lot of businesses that shut down and all that sort of stuff. We, we kept working through, which was really good. But I kept, kept when in those periods where I wasn't at work and I couldn't go and do anything, I just, just stayed in the shed, tinkering around with my hobbies. But, yeah, got a lot done. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I liked the first lockdown, but after that they became tedious because the first lockdown was like, oh, this is like a holiday at home. I'm just yeah. going to build some model planes. Kind of thing. I was still working, but on the weekends I didn't have any commitments. I couldn't go anywhere, couldn't catch up with people, couldn't go out. So it was a bit like, oh, well, I'll just stay here and uh, work on some models. Now, um, okay, so let's just wind the clock back. So you, so you got to the age of 18, then you took a break, correct? Yeah. And then did you come back? Like what brought you back? Because obviously you went and did cars, bikes, women, wine, whatever. Yeah. I still had the interest. Um, and even when I was chasing the women, not very successfully and, and drinking more than I should, I um, would always pop into a hobby shop. And there was, a, there was a hobby shop in Melbourne on Lonsdale Street, I think it was. And I bought a, oh, yeah, yeah. a, kit, a kit there. Um, it was like a, an extra aerobatic thing, 61 size. And I kept playing with that. Bought some of my- a few radios and some servos and stuff. So I kept a little bit of it ticking over, just a little bit ticking over. But I wasn't doing any flying, but I was still keeping my building sort of um, oh, the interest up there. Hey, um, Trent, I just got to apologize for that noise. You know what that noise was? What was it? It was um, me pressing play on a video of one of your planes on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I've muted it now. Yeah. Muted it. yeah anyway. No, that's all right. Um, so I kept, kept the interest there. Like I bought that bullet glider when I wasn't really doing much and I was in the shed, not as much. Um, but there's always a little bit of interest there, but I was, wasn't really flying. I wasn't a member of, member of a club. Um, but it was just sort of, just sort of simmering in the background, I suppose, until, until I can't remember what inspired the next, what inspired me to get back into it. But yeah, I got, what got back into it like full on. Well, it brings me to the point of talking about some of the composite stuff that you've done because you got into building composite models um, yeah. from, from scratch. Tell me, how did you get in? You know, why did you get into that and how did you get into that? Um, I always had an interest in it from back in the day of trying to make a cow for something out of some foam and then pack and tape over it and then fiberglass resin and then sort of dissolve the foam out. Um, 
but just used to admire some of the fiberglass fuselage you could buy with some of the kits and stuff. And I just wondered how, how people did it. And um, I think the internet and just an opportunity came up where I went to go buy something off a guy and he had a mold for sale and I bought a mold off him for an 82 inch Hawker Sea Fury, I think it was. Um, and at the time I was just doing a little bit of research about fiberglassing and stuff. So I, I bought this mold and I decided to lay up a fuselage, which was a massive endeavor. I didn't know how long it would take. I did it in one hit, which took me hours and hours and hours, like a wet layup and both sides and then joined it. But that, the next day when I pulled it out, I, it was sort of successful. So sort of that started me thinking about, you know, I, I enjoy doing that and I, I managed to be able to do it without too much difficulty. And then I found a few websites with composite stuff and, I suppose the thing that got me right into it, and I'll give credit to them, there was a, two people by the name of Richard and Patsy up north oh, yeah, at yeah. Bundaberg. Um, I stumbled across this. They did a, a nice build thread or a thread on um, their full composite P-47 Thunderbolt. And it was it was basically a – I'm pretty sure it was a top flight P-47 that they covered in um, not lithoplate. It was more a styrene or, or MEP. K or whatever the the um plastic sheeting is and punched all the rivets and screws and panels and it, and it come up fantastic and they they did a couple of fuselages and full comps and stuff and i watched that read it and thought well i would like to try that not at that level but just try the the composite stuff um and they used a core material they used vac bagging um and a few techniques that I still use to this day and I copied them and I give them credit for what I've done because without them, I would never have tried using cork as a core material. Um, just a very thin layer of cork in between your fiberglass. Um, yeah, so I decided to bite the bullet and I bought a brand new top flight ARF giant scale P51D Mustang. Um, and I basically got it and stripped it back, glassed it, turn it into a fiberglass plug or the pattern to take molds off. And that's where my sort of first producing my own mold started from. Okay. Gee, you really got, you have got that building bug. It's amazing. How, you know, even from a young age, it's just it amazed me how you, you've always seemed to have this inclination to go, oh, I reckon I could have a crack at that and I could you know, do it. And yeah. you, you mentioned Patsy and, um, yeah, and I've had her on the I've had them on the Richard Patsy have had her on the podcast, and um, yeah, amazing. That'd be that'd be chuffed to hear that you um, you learnt from them because that was their whole thing that they don't mind sharing their knowledge. So um, so okay, so you you build this 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 mold. What's the mold made out of? Um, I use just sort of I use a fairly good quality tooling gel coat, which is the surface that you see inside the mold. You might see it might be red or green or black, um. And then just polyester resin and chopped strand mat over the back to build up the bulk of the mold, which is, you know, that resin and stuff you could buy at Bunnings. But the tooling gel coat was more of a specialised thing from a, a proper composite or fiberglass supplier. Um, but the key is your your plug. If you make a, a good plug and mould it right, you'll make nice parts out of it. A lot of the work, like if I'm going to do a fuselage mould, I'll spend more time making the plug or the pattern than I do making the mould because that's where all the work is. And how long do they last? Like how many models could you make out of out of your plug? You could make a lot. If you build them well and you look after them, you could make – or you could – like people have done it to the same level as mine and done it as a commercial thing, made 50, 60, 100. Um, you just look after it, build it well. I mean, I'm not at that level and I never will be, but 
I believe in building the mould as best uh, as, as well as I can to ensure that in years to come they're still producing quality parts and I might be keen to make more parts or less parts, but if you build them well, they'll last forever is my theory and you store them well yeah. and they'll, um, they'll last forever. So you can make me a Mustang? Pardon? You can make me a Mustang. Well, I've got that very original Mustang mold I've still got, but I then upgraded it. Same same essential plane, but I just changed a few things. So I'm more than happy to make your Mustang. And then I, um, I've done the big Mustang, the quarter scale Mustang, which is sort of the big brother to that one. And that's, that's fairly full on detail and not yeah. every screw and rivet and panel that it's, it's, pretty, it's, um, pretty scale. And I, I really worked a lot on the shape. I got a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, reference drawings that I was managed to get the guy who designed one of the, one of the better kits floating around now, a guy by the name of Chad Veach from America. He, um, he helped me with some information and some drawings and that night I, I built myself a CNC router just for something to do. And I use that, yeah, just, <laughs> just for something to, to as you do, yeah, yeah. But I use it to cut using the plan. I use it to cut the shape, the guy, like the to get the right shape of the the top of the cowl from the canopy forward to get that right curve. And I made a template out of that, out of plywood, and then use that with the filler to get the shape right. And the same around all the all the different sides and stuff. I tried to rather than just use my eye, I tried to use the resources I had to make templates and stuff. And I'm pretty happy. It's not perfect, but. It's, that's because I made. I know the little imperfections, but there's yeah. not many. But I'm really happy with the big, the big Mustang, and the little one's still a sports scale Mustang, but it's still a nice size. It's a nice plane. It's 84 and a bit wing, inch wingspan, or 85 inch wingspan, but it's still a nice plane. What are the wings made out of? Are they, are they composite as well? Um, not all. The Mustangs are foam core, traditional foam core. If you've ever built foam core, the the um, the Focker Wolf, which I sent you some photos, that's full full composite. That's that one was my goal to do a full composite airframe and use cover the whole thing with aluminium cover punching every rivet every screw that i can try and get documentation to um and try to make it as look as good as it can and it's one of those things if you want your plane to look like it's been covered in aluminium you use aluminium um and the good thing about molding it is you don't get the weight of all those bits you can you can have a relatively light fuselage it's got all the detail of one that's been you know meticulously built with all the aluminium and rivets and screws and stuff, but you don't have all the weight. That aluminium finish looks amazing. It does look great. It'd be nice to have that. Like I've still got the plug, but it's it's a little bit worse for wear because as you pull it out of the mould, it lifts a few things. But, yeah, that's those photos I look back and go, wow, I can't believe I did that. But it was just a labour of love and, you know, to the point of the ailerons and elevators and that were all fabric covered and I used the pinking tape and I moulded it off the fabric. Um, so you get that fabric look with all the pinking tape oh, and all that. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to make it look like a warbird. That's not, they're not perfect. They don't look perfect. You know, some of the ones you'll see at a, at a, at a warbird meeting or a highly polished one from America. Well, that's a, that's a fully restored one that looks beautiful, but in the war they were beaten up. And that's what I liked in my, my planes look beaten up. And sometimes that's just accidental hangar rash or sometimes it's deliberate. Yeah. I'd love the, I've got this. One of my when it comes, I've I've never owned a warbird, but when it comes to warbird, my warbirds, my favourite model is the P fifty one, and I think it's because I have a book here which I reckon would be worth a fortune now. It was a special printing process, but it's on P fifty ones, and it's full of all the different schemes that were on the P fifty ones, the real ones. So it's, it's on and and it covers the history of them, and then through to every model of a P fifty one, and 
it's like metallic. The, the book's like it got metallic finish on it, so the aluminium looks like aluminium. And so I'd love to have a P51 with the aluminium finish. It'd be absolutely awesome, and and it'd be something I think different at the field. And you know, we see like the Hangar Nine P51s, but that's all you know, covered, shrink-wrapped, yeah. and it doesn't look the same as um as as the molded one. But um that that Focke-Wulf, what's tell us a bit about that because you've done a um a big Focke-Wulf as well. What's the size of that? It's a ninety. 90- basically 90 inches it's um i don't claim to design everything myself it's a roy valencourt shortcut kit that i bought um of his one which i think is about one 4.5 scale or something like that um and built it with the intention of molding it so i didn't worry about building it light i just built it whatever i I needed to throw at it to get the shape i wanted um and that started a long time. That started seven or eight years ago, that journey of starting with the fuselage or six or seven years ago. Um, and in hindsight, maybe I could have gone to the quarter scale a bit bigger, but I'm happy with that size. It's got a nice scale presence. Um, you can fit, you know, like I'm actually going to put a, 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 a 90cc radial in that once it's test flown. Um, I'll change it over. But it was, um, yeah, just a labour of love, that one. I, I wouldn't do that level of detail again, but I went to the, you know, the extent of all the aluminium um, panels, rivets, screws, hatches, um, and it's. I'm happy with the way it came out. A couple of little imperfections here or there, but you don't notice it because it's a Warburg, which is good. It's not like a beautiful scale jet that looks perfectly clean on every every surface. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fun fun build and. The reason I built the CNC router was for that kit because I needed to, even though I can build a fuselage essentially hollow and empty and you can put your own formers in there and firewalls and servo trays, a wing that's sealed up, you can't. You need to get the internal structure in. So I built my CNC router with help from Andrew Gordon up at Aubrey. He uh, he said if he can build one, I can build one. So he helped me along that path. And I built it but had no idea how to design anything in CAD. But I thought, well, I'll teach myself and got onto a good program called Cut2D from Ventric or Vectric, the CAD people, and it was a brilliant program. I could trace a rib from a plan, bring it, I would just scan it, bring it in, trace it in CAD, and then bring it up and modify it and then produce the G-code and cut it. Um, so that was why the CNC router was built, and I use that for all the internals, and it's got some, I use high-quality birch plywood inside, aircraft plywood, um, and they're pretty strong. I'll probably overbuild them, but I'm not not ashamed about that. They're strong. I don't want anyone coming back to me saying something fell apart because I tried to keep it super light and it fell apart on me or on them. So, but yeah, the Focke Wolf. Yeah, really, really happy with that one. Really proud of it. I've I've had a few a few people have bought them off me. I don't I don't push the sales of the kits. I did early when I started the journey. I thought I'm going to make some make some hobby money just to pay for my next hobby thing. But there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work in producing a kit, especially when you're doing full composite. And I, I've had multiple people tell me your prices are too cheap. You're scaring people off. And I said, oh, that's fair enough. No problem. It's it's my hobby. And if someone wants to buy one off me, I'll make it. But if they don't, it doesn't bother me at all. The molds will stay forever. And in 10, 15 years' time, I might be a bit more enthusiastic to push and sell. But at the moment, um, I've got a few people inquiring about the big quarter-scale P51, which I'm just still plodding along doing a few little things for that. Shipping is the killer. Um, I think you probably would realise how bad shipping is, especially since COVID arrived and is sort of passing. Um, like 
some people get scared off. They'll give, they'll ask me to, oh, can you give me a price to America or Perth? And I give them, I get a price, just internet, you know, international shipping, and they go, oh, that's the price. It's like twice as dear as the kit itself, and they get, they get put off. Yeah, no, that's um. Because essentially, you're sending a big empty box because there's no weight in it, so it takes up space, and they charge for that space. So. Yeah. Shipping in Australia is crazy. Um, mm. like, like to get something to to Darwin or to to Western Australia that's of any size uh, is just it's just absolutely crazy. How, how much does you know your Focke-Wulf weigh? Big one. Um, I weighed it the other day because I've got it almost to the point of being able to test run. I haven't set the CG, but it's pretty nose heavy, I reckon, at the moment, and it's about thirty three pound, which is pretty good for that size. Um, I, I watched a guy build one online overseas, a guy by the name of Matt Lupri. He built one, the same model, and it got to 42 pounds and still flew beautifully. Um, obviously, it comes in a bit hotter on landing, but um, it's I'm pretty happy with that because the first layup is the one I kept and the wings I use four millimeter ply. Now I use a bit more three millimeter and, you know, refining the techniques and the layup, you can save a bit of weight. Um, but it's still the overall overall plane's quite light for its size, and I think it'll be fine. And uh, sort of what size motors are you putting in these um, in these models that you're making? Are they um, 50, 60 Yeah, pretty much. The big quarter scale Mustang will be bigger. Um, I've got a ZDZ97 to put in mine. The perfect motor I'd never be able to afford it is the Colm, one of the Colms oh, from Europe. They just sound awesome, and they're beautiful. Like they're just the look at them; they're a work of art. Will they um, fit in your P fifty one? Yeah, they will definitely. Because um, there's people who have built the Chad Veach one, which is mine, is loosely based around it. I can give you a bit more history on that at some point, but it will fit. And because it's composite, you don't have a lot of internal structure. Like if you build a, a, a traditional balsa, where you've got ply and firewalls and internal, a lot of internal structure to get the strength. Mine is essentially hollow and I can put some carbon and stuff like that to give it strength. And then, so it's, it's, it's probably more room than the same equivalent size plane built out of, bol- built out of balsa. Um, and depending on the size you go, you could go up to two or 300. I don't know what size, but people put three cylinder, 230 or 200 something CC engines in, in the composite ARF ones, which are smaller than mine. Mm. So they sound awesome and they're just a beautiful work of art. Yeah, okay. I'm just having a look at you've got a website, Smith Smith Composites website. I just did a search. Yeah, it's pretty basic, but um it's one of those free ones. So it's not it's yeah. not overly high end. Um oh. most most people are interested through the Facebook page. Um and they'll just send me a message or they'll see something or people recommend and most of the people who've ever bought anything or um inquired about stuff just go through the Facebook page. Those prices still valid? Um, I'd say, I think I upgraded those recently. I'd have to, um, just check it before I, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say they are. Can you make me a Mustang, please? <laughs> you want the... The P51D, like the 80, 84 inch one, right? So yeah. So I've got this theory that, um, the, uh, my, tra- everything has to fit in my trailer, right? Yeah. And that model will fit in my trailer. Tell me about the retracts and stuff for you, for your models. I always get paranoid about retracts. I mean, a lot of these warbirds, you know, of course they've got retracts. Um, are you, what retracts are you using or do you recommend in your, in your kits? Uh, um, I've been starting to head towards the Electron brand. I've got a couple of sets of those, which are, and I know a few other gear. people are using them, especially in the jet gear as well. Um, 
you can't always, you can't beat Robart for your basic air stuff. You got your Sierra Precision from the states, but with the conversion of the dollar plus shipping, they'll start to get a bit pricey. There's still the local. I think there's still a local bloke in Sydney, Custom Retracks. He does some good stuff. Yes. Um, all the custom retracks were basically the, exactly the same as Century Jet retracks. They were basically copied straight off that. Um, there's a lot of retracks, so there's no issue. There's Lardo, which is another manufacturer. Some people are building them themselves these days. They might have a guy at the club who's got a mill and a lathe, and they're starting to head that direction. But um, all you need is for a Mustang, what, an 85-degree retract, um, and you're away. The key with that Mustang, any foam core, is understanding what you need and putting the reinforcement in the foam core wing before you finish. Um, a little bit of forward planning um, and stuff like that. Because ex excluding my Focke Wolf, they're essentially, you need a bit of scratch building experience. I'm always on the phone to, you know, to help people out if they need a bit of help, but you need to be able to have a little bit of scratch building experience to, because um, essentially you get a, some foam and some fiberglass parts and a canopy and some basic building notes. But um, but it's enjoyable because you get that creativity and the freedom to do what you want and put whatever you want wherever. Like you can put your servos wherever you want in the tail and the, as forward as as far forward as you can. How do they fly? Um, the Mustang's a top flight, so it flies like a top flight. Um, so nice, um, pretty user friendly. The wing section's pretty user friendly. Yeah. Okay. Of course, I'm on the internet looking at them now. See what you've yeah. done to me now. I'm going to become a warbird guy. I was having a warbird going. Uh, <laughs> Everyone should yeah. have a warbird. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, um, I I've never really gravitated towards warbirds. I've never had anything against them. You know, of course, I've seen a lot of them flying and that kind of thing. And for me, it's like um, having a warbird is about going to warbird events. You know, being part of another event, like uh, my local yeah. club at Packenham, they had a warbird event, didn't have a warbird. Yep. Uh, Bairnsdale's going to have a warbird event. Can't go to Bairnsdale, don't have a warbird event. It's like, oh, I've got something <laughs> missing, haven't I? Anyway, it's something for me to think about. Um, you're distracting me now, Trent. You're distracting me. I'm thinking about P51s for some reason. Um, P51 with a column would be, oh, that would be a beautiful model. Um, so how long does it take you to put a composite model together to, build, to, you know, to, to, to mold one up? Um, you spend more time building the plug or the pattern. That's well, you probably hear that term a few times. Um, the molding process isn't that hard of setting up. You can do a, a, I can probably allow a fuselage one side one weekend, the next weekend do the second side. Um, a cowl you can sort of do. It's a bit, it's it's time consuming. Um, but most of that work is getting it prepped. The mold layup isn't that, especially if you're using vinyl ester or polyester, you can sort of. Um, that's pretty user-friendly. Epoxy is probably the best to work with for your moulding, but it is gets a bit more pricey. Um, I use a combination of some moulds, epoxy, some moulds, vinyl ester, depending on what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, there's a bit of, bit of time, but I, it's a part of my hobby. I enjoy it. Um, so it's enjoyment yeah. time for me. It, um, it seems like you've got um, a very um, active mind, that you don't mind researching things on how to get to that end result and you've got enough motivation to keep keep going through it. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I I you know, if there's something I'd like to learn, I'll I'll try and learn it and speak to the right people and do my research or another facet of the hobby or something like that. I just 
especially if it's going to aid another part of my hobby. Like I've got a lot of other stuff. I've got, like I'm a tradesman. I've got tools. If I've got to do something twice, I'll buy the right tool to do it um, and stuff like that. I've got tools in my shed that I've never used and I don't know why I bought them, but um, I just enjoy that creative side. And, you know, my kids will come out and say, Dad, can you build me this? And go, yeah, I can build that. And I'll just build it. Um, so it's, it's, it's enjoying and learning. And Do you think that confidence of being able to give things a go or something that, happened over time or do you, do you always have that confidence to go, yeah, I reckon I could do it? Yeah, I grew up with a dad who was pretty hands-on and I watched him build a lot of stuff and he could build a lot of stuff and he'd, I'd always help him. So I think it was sort of inherited through him. But, um, you know, confidence goes a long way in, in life in general. So I have a crack. I'm not afraid to put my hand up and say I failed or I made a mistake or ask the right person and, and tell them what I did wrong to get feedback. Um, so, yeah. I think have a go, have a crack, jump in, and you've got haven't got much. A little bit of financial loss, maybe if you do something wrong, but no, it's only money. Can't take it with you. Well, it's interesting. Like as you were saying that, I was thinking like sometimes I get a bit daunted at you know building stuff, but I, uh, but deep down I know if I really put my mind to it, I could do it. Um, but um, you know the more. <laughs> The older I get, the more experienced I become, the less daunted I am. I've got this saying, my wife will come to me and say, hey, oh, something's broken, can you fix it? And I've got this saying, of course I can. I'm an aero modeler. You know? yeah. We know glue. <laughs> and, and so I've got the kids that come to me with broken something. My daughter will come to me and say, my hair clip broke. Oh, okay. Can you use some of your glue to fix it? Maybe, but uh, probably not because I don't glue a lot of plastics, but I'll try. I've got some glue yeah. that work. But, um, but yeah, and and it isn't a matter of life or death if you get something wrong with a model plane. And sometimes you can fix it. You know, worst case scenario, you got to chop a bit out and rebuild it or something like that. But um, you know, I've had uh, Mario Shembri on. I just saw uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, and I just saw that he fixed his vampire turbine jet, and and you know does a good job at putting things together. And and he's got that confidence of yeah, I can fix that. Where I'd be, oh, I might need someone standing next to me whilst I do it, but. I'll probably tell them how to do it whilst they're standing next to me. But um, but anyway, I think it's a, it's a good way to be, though, good way to be. Now, if anybody wants to have a look at some of those models or order any from you, where's the best place to go? Is it your Facebook page? Yeah, Facebook page, just Smith Composites. Um, you know, a fair few people around Melbourne have got my phone number. Um, but yeah, they can just send a message through that uh, or just straight through on Facebook. I've got a lot of my, a lot of my Facebook friends are modelers just in general. Um, but yeah, contact through the, the, the Smith composite page is the easy, easiest way to go. Yeah. I, I think you, where do you live? You live Bayside area? Uh, Frankston South. Okay. So you're not far from me. I'm, well, a bit close to the city, but, um, I was born in Frankston. The, the, um, so what, where do you fly? Um, I'll, I've actually joined up where I used to live up at Cobram at the Moira Club. I um, joined just this year because I've been sort of spending more time going up and seeing my folks um, and just flying up there. Um, I find it's just a little bit more space, a little bit more user-friendly and um, just the guys are really nice chaps up there, but every club's the same. Um, I do get jealous out at Packingham when I see the facilities out there. If I go out and view a um, an event, um, but yeah, I fly. I don't do as much flying as I should. Most people know me as more of a builder than a flyer, but that's something I'm actively of late trying to change. 
I need the thumbs to be coordinated. I feel if, if it's like riding a bike, you don't forget it, but you can fall off the bike pretty easily if you you know not concentrating. I just need the the thumbs to be coordinated a bit more. It's the it's, he's getting a little bit bit of corrosion on them, but it, it gets blown off after about the fourth flight. That's I love getting on the simulator. That's what I do. Like yeah, you and I are a similar vintage, and and we're busy phases of our life with kids and work and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And the opportunities to go and spend it, you know, every weekend at the field is just not not there. And but that idea, like you said, of the Cobham Club is a good club, and and um, I'm a member of a club down the coast here, pointing down in Queenscliff Way, because my mother-in-law lives down there, and so when we go down there at Christmas or whatever, it's easier for me to go flying because it's ten, you know five ten minute drive to the field. And the rest of the family's preoccupied, hanging around, doing their own thing. And so they sit there and sell, they push me out the door. You know, yeah. like, go. And because it's so convenient, you know, I've, I'm a member of the club and I'll just continue to pay the membership. Um, and, you know, even though I might only fly there four days a year, um, and it's not a very expensive membership, but um, it's a great place to fly. And I always say I love country clubs. If, if anything, like I'm a member of Packenham, but... But um, it's still a suburban club as far as I'm concerned. Nothing beats going to a club like Beansdale or Echuca or Ararat or, you know, Cobram and going there. And it's just a different vibe with plenty of space, fresh air kind of thing. Packenham's yep, a big mate. club. That's the thing. There's a lot of members yeah. there. And so every time you go there, it feels like an event. Um, and sometimes yep. you just want to go somewhere where it's just three or four people hanging around, you know. Yeah. I like it, Cobram, if I want to test fly a model and I don't want an audience, I can get out there early. And fly, and I don't have an audience. Um, just on a first flight. But the problem is, early morning you get the the rising sun in your eyes. But um, you know, it's just less less. Even the people who are there are always friendly. There's no one, no one coming over giving you advice over your shoulder if you do something wrong. It's it's just a nice, friendly club. Like most of them are. I won't say, I won't say that this one's better than any other. But they're a nice bunch of guys. Jason, the president up there, he's always using. He does a lot of molding in that himself. So he's we're always sharing ideas and. And um, stuff like that. So, and I get to see see my dad and, and mum up there as well. I'll go up there with the family sometimes. Other times I'll just go up myself, put the trailer on the back, and take off Saturday morning and come back Monday for some audio at work. And yeah, just enjoy some time up there with family and flying. I'll tell you what, when I win the uh, win the lotto, I'm moving to the country. Yeah, I'd love. I, I, you know, I keep on thinking to myself, why don't I just go? Well, kids are at school and all that. Don't want to pull them out, but. Um, I got a holiday house up in the country, and it's like oh, there's no flying club near the holiday house. Though I actually was thinking the other day, oh, if I when lived up there and a bit older, could you know build a carport or something from a trailer or a garage, and then how long would it take me to get to the nearest club? About an hour and a quarter or something like oh, that. <laughs> but yeah. I, but you know what I said to myself? Oh well, that's a half an hour extra than what I drive now. I could probably do it. What else am I going to do? Yeah, well, that's right. When you retired. You've got lots of time available, so go for a nice drive. Are you, are you still gliding at all? Um, I'm trying to get back into it. I I I bought. My, I want to do aero towing. That's one thing I want to do. Yeah. And I've got I've got a few things stewing there. Um, and I've got a molded glider that I bought, but it was a winch glider, and I'm never going to winch it. So I've Spoke to um, the Toys for Big Boys gentleman. Dave. I forget his name. Dave, yeah. Dave Pratley. He was really helpful and he gave me some advice and I bought a 
a motor and a speedy and a few things off him and he told me how to cut the nose off and all that and make an engine mount so that was good so that's going to get converted to a what would it be called an f5j F5 maybe J, just a, yeah. yeah the idea of that's really convenient and they're so light you know you don't need a big battery and so my gliders i've still got that passion for gliders i've even collected over the years a few of the old classic probably 90s kits like i've got a what have I got? I've got a, a Voyager again that I had back in the day. Um, I had a fiberglass step three fuselage that I did a trade with a guy and he backed out at his end, so that's another story. But I've got one of the Airtronic, I think it's a Falcon 880 fiberglass fuselage and phone call wings, and that was one that I loved when I was a kid looking at the American magazines. But I want to try, as I said before, some aero towing. I want to, and I want something modern. I like the modern gliders, something yeah. like an ASW24 or a Ventus like or a Discus. Me. Man, we're similar when it comes to some of these kits. Yeah, uh, yeah. same with me. Like I saw um, uh, Mike O'Reilly posting um, the um, border border town scale aero tow that's happening. I think in November, and um, maybe we get Mike on to talk about it at some point. But um, but yeah, that's coming up. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be good to go? And there's a mate of mine that's got a scale glider just sitting there that's under, or it's almost finished, and. Um, he hasn't chopped the nose off it yet because I want to. I'd, 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 if if I've got a scale glider, I don't want it to be electric launch. Yeah. I want it to be aero towed up. Uh, I've got an F5J. Dave Prattley just rebuilt my. I've got a new fuselage for my F5J that I broke um, second flight when I launched it into my head. Because <laughs> I'm an idiot. But um, yeah, I actually saw Dave a couple of weeks ago and picked up my my uh, newish glider. Uh, and he did a great job, actually. He, you know, I paid him to put the, put it together for me because he just didn't have time. But um, but um, yeah, like going going to an aerotow event, going to Gerildery or something like that, to one of those things. Like I've talked about this in the past. I loved. I had a great time at the Wang Jets event, even though I crashed my jet. It's a recurring yeah. theme for me at the moment. But anyway, uh, the going to an event where like-minded people flying the same kind of models. Like a like a, a an aero tow event or something like that. I think it's just oh, so much fun. It's just such such a good time. But um, yeah, I love the modern gliders as well. All the ASWs, yeah. the ASKs, all those kind of things. That's yep. my thing. I can appreciate the older gliders, but I love that sleekness of the of a modern day, um, modern day glider. So yeah, you got me thinking about those as well. Christ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love the gliding thing. It's just you know. There's something in me that really it, – it's almost like it, – it's like fishing. You know, you live in hope. You throw your, your yeah. bait in, you don't know what's down there, and it's like you throw your glide in there, you don't know what's up there, but you're trying your best to read the environment, think what might be there, and looking at the clouds and, you know, looking at birds if they're thermaling or anything like that to just get some sort of sign. So it keeps you really um, involved, and that's just always something that I love. But then I saw I saw a video the other day of Gerno Brookman, who you know is a gun pilot, aerobatic pilot, and he also loves gliding and competes in aerobatics um, with gliders. And this flight he did doing aerobatics with a glider was phenomenal. Like momentum management was unbelievable. He's doing low down loops and absolutely out of control, master at it. And um, I was looking at that going, that is just phenomenal. It's so graceful. I, I think I, I saw that. Did yeah, it was recently. Did you have smoke yeah. on one wing, Jim? Smoke on one like, wing, yep. There may have been a Swift, a Swift or something like that glider. Yeah. How good was it in a perfect landing? It was just, yeah. oh, somebody posted on Facebook. I can't remember. Could have been Gavin Sexton probably. But, um, but yeah, no, good to hear you're into the uh, – yeah, why don't you mould a, a scale glider? Well, 
possibly I bought one and I've handed it over to a, a Manny, a mate of mine, who's looking at doing that. An ASW24. Um, I bought one secondhand, one of the model bow ones that was brought into the country years ago. It had foam core beachy wings. And Manny said, I want to do full composite. Um, so I've handed it over to him and he's sort of currently working on that. Um, but I'll get a, I'll get one of the first fuselages pulled and I'll put that, the original wings I've got on it. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I've actually through RC Trader, I, I, I've pulled the trigger on a molded glider. It's going to come over in a couple of weeks, secondhand, but all fully molded about 5.2 meter wingspan modern thing. So that'll probably be my first one. Um, we're looking forward to that. It's got a cracked canopy, but I can source a new canopy. Or I oh, can yeah. I saw that one, I think, on RC Trader, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, I've put a deposit down on that, and he's got a gentleman coming over to Melbourne on the 21st. So I'm going to pick it up then. And that, that, that'll that get the the um, the enthusiasm up on a glider. It's sort of basically turnkey. It's got everything in it ready to go. Just need to put receiver and probably batteries and yeah. hook it onto the back of something and drag it in the sky. I actually like the idea of um, having a tug as well. Oh, sorry, let me rephrase that because that sounded really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it of having a glider tug. The, the, the concept of being the glider tug pilot where, you know, you're taking off, you, you, you're taking people to height and then you're getting down as quickly as you can and then doing it all again. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think that would be that'd be good fun uh, as well with the, with the right model, of course. It'd be, um, it'd be yeah, a lot of fun. I've, made, I've noticed the the tug planes of late are sort of – I think a lot of glider pilots want to get up as quick as they can, as we do. Yeah. Um, there's no sort of scale, smooth takeoff and cruising – oh, I won't say none, but it's more a composite extra or something and they tow very steep, get the pilot up there, get it un, get it unclipped and then get down. Um, and I think that's what the glider pilots want as well. They don't want to be sort of waiting around for a really long flight to get to height. They want to get up as quick as they can. Um, yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the trends trends going. Some of the old scale ones aren't, aren't as popular. I think. I know, but I, you know what? I don't like that they use aerobatic planes to tug the the um, the gliders up. I'd want to see, you know, the you know, one of the glider tugging. What are they called? Pawnee or something we, like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. a Pawnee tugging them up is part of it as well. It's not just oh, yeah. let's get an extra two sixty and hook it on the back and with a big donk up the front and launch it up into the you know heavens and get it down. And I get it. They want to get the, the planes up there. But if I'm going to fly a scale plane, a scale glider, I want it to be scale-like and I don't mind if it takes a bit of time to get to height. But um, yeah. You know, but I, look, the other thing is I don't mind like an oversized stick with a big motor on it that uses a glider tug, something that's dedicated, that was, that was built just for that. Not an aerobatic yeah. plane that was built for aerobatics, like anything but an aerobatic plane. Yeah. This is me, but I get it. It's functional yeah. and it gets people up in the air really quickly and, and more people can, you know, have fun kind of thing. But I don't know. Bring back the bungee maybe. That's what we need. Big well, yeah. Bungee. I've got a bungee there that I've used a few couple of years ago. So um, that, that brings back fond memories. I remember putting them in a – I used to put talcum powder on yes. them and put them in a little bucket and keep them out of the sunlight and, and then eventually they'd break. I had a bungee and I don't know where it's got to. I think we lent it to a friend when we were younger and we got it from Southern Sail Plains and it was good bungee, proper bungee. Yeah. And um and it had the talcum powder and all that kind of stuff. But um but yeah, it's I don't know where it got to. I really it's one of those mysteries. Where did I think I think I know who had it, but um but yeah. I wish I had it's hard to find bungee now. But um but anyway. 
because I, I might need it for my Aries glider. Maybe yeah, that'd be perfect. You don't want one too powerful either. You don't want one that's no. launching, designed to launch three and a half meter stuff. Yeah, rip the wings off. Yeah, I've got a um, I've got a Southern Sailplanes ricochet actually that I could bungee launch potentially. Um, but, Hobby King yeah. used to have lightweight. I bought yes. bought one. It was that blue one, and yeah. I um, and it would have been perfect for a sort of two meter or under. Yeah, one of um, little bolster glider. Ones. Yeah, it would have been fine because yeah. it wasn't super strong. But um, yeah, it's surgical. It's like a surgical rubber or something. Like yeah, that. that's right. But anyway, that's another one to put on the bucket list. Getting back, that's bring it. back the bungee. So, yeah. what does your hanger look like now? What models have you got? Um, I've got, I've got kits hidden everywhere. I've got none of them. Have I've got five Spitfire kits. One of my own. Um. I've got a couple of aerobatic things that I want to, I want to have a good aerobatic plane to improve my general flying. Similar to what Mario was saying last uh, when he was on. Um, I've actually been working on a full composite old school laser, um, not the modern sort of extreme yeah, flight extreme look. Flight. It's actually the old school well, one. The extreme flight look is very loose scale. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> extreme flight planes start to look pretty similar but they're designed for a purpose which is aerobatics they're not designed yeah. to be um super super scale because if they were if it didn't have this, the red and white if it didn't have the red and white stickers on it you wouldn't know it was a laser pretty much yeah it's true it's slick <laughs> um so i've got that that i've been playing with i've got a bit more molding to do on that is that going to um, have the uh the blue scheme the original one that was around the 80s remember the blue i don't know I've, I've i've got i've got a i like the red um i yeah. went and bought some red and it was actually ducati red yeah. um to do it because I've got a, a, a motorbike to spray as well using the same paint. Um, so I've got that. I've got my Warbirds, plenty of them, P47 sitting in a box, um, my gliders. There's just lots of stuff. I, I still, I've still got a few foamies. I do enjoy on the foamies because it's user-friendly. Like, as I was saying before about getting my thumbs coordinated, if I ever go flying up at Cobham, I, I take a couple of my old original Park Zone little – P51 Mustang, the gunfighter scheme is the first thing I drag out every time and I just go low and hard and it just gets me, and if it breaks, I don't care and it's my go-to first thing I fly just for fun and coordination of my thumbs. So I've got a few foamies, a fun cub, I think everyone's got a fun cub. Um, yeah, a few other things. I just built, bought the other day and, and I've got it together ready to fly as one of the extreme flight Bushmasters, but the 84 inch ones. I've got one of those. I bought it with the intent of putting a small gas motor in it, but everything I read about it, everyone said, no, don't do it. They're not designed for it. The vibration will will kill it. Yeah. Um, So I did have an outrunner and that that I had in a Nemesis that was everything about it told me that it was the right size, prop size, battery size, and the planes weren't overly different in weight. So I thought, oh, I'll put that in it. So it's all done, balanced, ready to fly. So that's Next time I fly up at Cobham, I'll take that to test fly. I got a. I love my decathlons. I'm a decathlon fan. Oh, so am I. I bought a decathlon years ago, a Pilot 107 inch one that yeah. was everything, and it had an aero. They actually set it up for aero towing, which I've never done, so I never did it. But it's got a an aero tow setup in it. Um, my mate Ross is probably going to take that off my hands. He's interested in that, but I did buy the next size up, the 122 inch Pilot. Um, Decathlon, I've got that sitting brand new in a box, so that'll be something I'll put together when Shit. time. You keep on getting more and more. Yeah, I've got a Skywing, which I regret buying because I got a Skywing 
90-inch aerobatic thing. And Skywing just blew my mind, the quality of their kits with the amount of carbon yeah. reinforcement. You know, you get, the, you get the wing bags and the extension leads and everything's in it. I ordered it with a bunch of guys who ordered some in, but I got the wrong colour scheme. It was nothing like the one I wanted, and that sort of just put me off it a bit. Oh, and really? then, yeah, and so I've sort of advertised it a couple of times, and oh, look, I'll probably have to just drop my pants on it a bit and sell it cheaper than what I want, um, or I might build it one day. Who what knows? Is but it? I, it's the grey and the white sort of. It's the well, it's probably best way is white, black, and grey. Um, it's the version two. It's only two year old, still brand new in a box. What is, um, what, what, what is it? What model is it? The, um... It's the Skywing, I think it's an Edge 540, oh, yeah. 93 inch wingspan. But they're a beautiful kit. I opened it up and had a look at some of the parts. They're a beautiful kit. Um, just the, the wrong color scheme just was like that, just uh, disappointed me. It's um, not the printed scheme, is it? Yeah, it looks like a printed, like gray and white and stuff down the side. And, with red on I wanted it. the red. I wanted this red, beautiful red pattern. With the with yeah, with the um with the printing on the back of it. We had a bit of an internet glitch there, so uh, we went off the air. We don't know what happened, but um it really happens. The uh do you like super super chipmunks? I do like super chipmunks. Oh, you you and I yes. are good friends. <laughs> we like, we'll like pop in one day. <laughs> we, we like the same kind of models. And of course, we talk, spoke about the Ducati motorbike as well, which I'd love to have one of those. Yeah, got a This is the thing I always say: aero models are into cars, uh, boats, uh, jet skis, um, <laughs> fishing, motorbikes of all, all shapes and sizes, hot rods, you name it. We, you know, we're multifaceted. Yeah, I mean, I got a, I got a big fishing boat as well. So what I struggle with is when the weather's nice. Do I fish? Do I ride my yes. bike? Do I? Fly planes. Well, Trent, I, wins a lot. I've got it all dialed in though. I, I've got a hobby for every season. So um, I bought a jet ski. So jet ski is going to be summer outings because sometimes it's too hot to go. I don't like going to a flying field when it's really, really hot. And you're just sitting there, just getting hot and your plane's wrinkling up. Um, yeah. But I do like the idea of flying gliders in that weather. But um, but so that's, you know, that's my summer. My peak times for flying are autumn and spring because the weather's perfect. And and sometimes in winter when you get one of those really still coldish kind of days, don't mind flying in the cold. So, But I've, yep. you know, I'm a skier, so I snow ski during winter. Uh, I've got the motorbike, the dirt bike, and that's uh, an autumn-spring exercise because, again, I don't like riding when it's stinking hot. So I'm pretty much full. I've got something for every season. And the fishing... Yeah, the fishing's gonna is a bit of a sacrifice in between it all, but that's the summer thing to do. You know, you don't want to go out in the middle of winter. It's freezing cold out in the bay here. Yeah. So you know, we just gotta, right. you know, you know what? Going back to your point earlier that you were talking about how you know not finishing models and stuff like that, and I, and I spoke of this a while ago, about a month ago, or so or a few episodes back, saying you know sometimes we can feel the pressure from others, the, the pressure that others people put on us. Oh, you never go flying. It's like yeah, because I was doing something else that I enjoy doing. And being comfortable to say, okay, I haven't flown for three months. But it doesn't mean, you know, look, I always say that at this stage of my life, whilst I'm still capable of getting throwing my leg over a motorbike, go and do it. Because when I'm 70, I'm probably not going to do that. And you know what I'm going to do when I'm 70? Flying model planes as much as I can, as much as I can. So I always say that flying model planes is a great retirement. Yeah. But whilst, we, whilst we're fit enough, and capable enough, let's go and explore a few other things. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's my take on it. Yeah, no, uh, I agree 100%. Now, 
what models would you like to build? Because you sound like a capable builder that, you know, if you put your mind to it, you could probably build it. Is there, is there anything out there? Please say Super Chip Mug, build, it, build a plug. I would, look, I've got a, I know somebody's got access to a fiberglass mold already, but I think a, a two metre, hundred inch chip mug that may be accessible. So I might build one of those. Um, I do want to do a big Harvard Texan, AT6 Texan. I yeah. do, I did access a, uh, one of the original Byron originals kit that's I'll probably not molding um, because you can't get them anymore and this the fiberglass parts are un, untouched so I might end up molding that um, I do want to do a big I love my German Warbirds I do want to do a big um, uh, BF109 Messerschmitt of the G series um, there was a kit made years ago in America called I think it was PCM that was probably the the market leader with the best quarter scale one of those that I've got access to so that's what I want to do. And just, yeah, I don't know. I've got a list of how many things I want to mold and then I want to stop so I can actually make some planes mm -hmm. and fly them rather than just doing molds. But while I'm still enjoying the molding process, I'll keep doing it because those molds will last forever. As I said, in 10, 15, 20 years, I might be really enthusiastic to be pumping out kits for friends I know and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Get a, get that aerotow glider up in the air and just keep, keep moving forward. You're not going to be bored, are you? No, plenty of things to do. I've said to a lot of people, I could retire now if I had the money and I would be busy every day, like every day busy. I don't, on weekends, I'm up at seven o'clock. If I sit on the couch or watch TV, I start falling asleep. So I'll get outside. Um, you know, work to me is just a means of getting money to pay the bills. And I'm just, I'd be in the shed all day, every day if I had the chance, but I've got to sometimes meet my family and introduce myself back to the family and take kids to sport and say hello to my wife. You sound, sound like the kind of person that, doesn't really enjoy sitting still for too, too long. There's always something else yeah. to be done. That's right. If I sit still, I sleep, and I don't like that. So I nearly fell asleep at my desk today. <laughs> well, I'm my own boss, so there's no one around. But I was sitting there, and I've just been going through this thing where I've just been so tired during the day. I don't know why. I've been on a bit of a different diet kind of thing. I don't know if it's impacting me or whatever. I've been playing around increasing my, my food intake because I've been losing weight kind of thing, trying to on purpose. But yeah. but, um, but I've just been so buggered and, and I just do not know what it is, why I'm getting so tired. I think I'm bored I need, uh, because yeah. I find that after work, like I went to the gym before we got on air and did a spin class and I said to the gym instructor, see, I've been buggered all day, but I'm wide awake now. And like, and I knew I was looking forward to having a chat with you all day because I knew that, it's going to pep me up. And, you know, yeah. I always say to people, like, this is the 101st episode, right? And we're actually recording this. I'll be honest and say we're recording a week in advance. So I'm recording it on the day that I launched the 100th episode. But, um, and so I, I just, like, I could be have a really bad day at work and then go and talk to someone about model planes and just get lost in having the chat. Like, time goes and you're not worrying about any aches and pains you might have or anything like that, so... I really do enjoy it. That's it, it. You know what? It's the number one way that I enjoy my hobby at the moment is doing this podcast. No, that's good. That's the main thing. It's a hobby to enjoy. You're not doing it for anyone else except for yourself, and and it, it's good. And it, it's I haven't seen many you know podcasts based on this sort of topic. They may exist, but nah. I like the fact that I like I like seeing names that I know as well. Like I'll see when Mario, I know Mario, and. And um, Tony Wilson down at Bansdale, he was the first bloke who ever flew one of my Spitfire kits yeah. after buying it. I spoke so, to him today. 
Oh, yeah. I said I'm 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 interviewing Trent. He goes, oh, great bloke. I said, how's your how's your uh, what is Spitfire? Is it or the Mustang? Yep. Spitfire. He's got a Spitfire. Yeah, I said, how's it going? He sent me a photo. He goes, it's sitting here. I got to do a little bit of work on it. And I said, okay, but um, but yeah, because I always say with these people, sometimes we we meet them, but we don't know their story. And that's what I love about doing this podcast. And and I think I'm the only one that goes down this route of. You know, mainly guest based, and um, you know, again, to people tell their story. And as I say, everybody's got a story. Some of these yeah. people say to me, "Oh, I've got nothing to say." Everybody's got a story, and it's you know, it's just as interesting as the next person. So, so anyway, you really motivated me though. This this has been good. Now I want a warbird and a um and a scale glider, and you're going to build. Tony Wilson has a super chipmunk composite. I heard that on that podcast you did with him. Yeah, and he's just had it repainted. And it is, looks phenomenal. And I'd like one of those. Maybe I'll have to go and steal it off him. Yeah, just distract him. He might have it down oh, a band sale. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, just put it in your car. Yeah, yeah, Well, this weekend, actually, which is the uh, the weekend, uh, well, this, when this podcast goes live, the event would have already been run as the Bansdale, um, or as I kicked the microphone, um, Bansdale uh, Fun Fly, which, of course, I've been summoned to somewhere else interstate that I have to go to, which means I can't be at the event, which is a bit disappointing. But anyway. These things happen. Um, now, we're up to the final question, the question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to. And and I, I'm looking forward to hear, hearing the answer to this question. And you might know what that question is because you've listened to this podcast before. And that is, what has been your favorite all-time model that you've owned? <laughs> I'm not somebody, I, somebody else. I like. reckon I'm going to have to say one that I've – I'm going to go back to the start because I, I've got so many fond memories of that Aero 515 trainer. It might sound strange because yeah. some of the stuff I've built – but it takes me back to a spot when I was never knew how to fly and it took me to a solo point and it, it was really a great time in my life getting into the hobby. So that's probably been my all-time favourite, which may sound strange, but my favourite model that I've had is my Focke Wolf 190 because it's the amount of labour of love that I put into it to build. Um, and my favourite plane is just a P-51 Mustang. So they're sort of my three. But the, probably the all-time one I've had is the little 15 train. It's got so many fond memories and, yeah. It was a great little plane. Well, you've um, you know, you've you've brought back the um, the multiple models to the answer. What has been your favourite? So congratulations, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but you came back. So I'm going to take the. Was it? A, oh, I was having a look at the Aeroflight kit that, um, catalog to see what um, what the name of that model was. But um, but you, you're right though. Sometimes it's not about the look of the model. It's what that model represented at a period of time in your life. Uh, that, that yeah. often is your is your favourite. So um, well done. Well, Trent, I've had a ball having a chat with you. You got you got my juices flowing and motivated about you know filling that gap that's in my trailer. There's various mm-hmm. ideas that I've got to fill that gap in my trailer. But uh, lovely to uh, to meet you and to hear your story. I know everybody else will uh, enjoy having uh, hearing your story. And don't forget, everyone, Smith Composites on Facebook. Go and have a look. Go and join the page. Put some more content up, please, Trent, so we can keep. Uh, keep an eye on you but uh, thanks yeah. for joining me no it was a pleasure great talking to you andrew it was really enjoyable about to leave already packing come with me i'm not really asking we'll get away to a place where we don't know another episode of the flat out rc podcast done and dusted big thank you to trent for joining me trent smith that is uh it was good to have a chat i re- really enjoyed that chat as i said i always enjoy talking about 
here I'm modeling with people and it just happens I do it over a podcast. So hope you're enjoying the podcast. As I said, up to episode 101, so we're moving forward. Almost didn't happen, as I said earlier, but I'm glad my SD card is working now. So it's onwards and upwards. Uh, got a few more guests lined up. So guess what? We'll have another, at least another two episodes. And don't forget, if you're interested in being on the podcast, get on the flatoutrc.com.au webpage, go to the contact page and send me a message. And here's a little tip. I was talking to someone the other day from Western Australia, said, how do I get onto your podcast? What is your podcast? And um, he wasn't totally tech savvy. And I said, get onto the flatoutrc.com.au website. They're all there. Click on the podcast page and you'll see them all there. Um, so there you go. Get on board subscribe to everything youtube instagram facebook we're everywhere everywhere we'll be back next week talk to you then eyes on the freeway bonnie and clyde a classic cliche we're on the run this is what we waited for